Father in heaven, thank you for reminding us from your precious word that you love us and you care for us and your eye is upon us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And you told us to cast all our care upon you because you do care for us. Help us to believe that. Hold on to that truth. And lift hearts that are heavy this morning. Encourage us, Lord, in our faith as we continue to walk the weary road as we travel until we see our heavenly home. Now we pray that you would speak once again through your living word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will take your Bibles with me, turn to Psalm 121, if you would. We continue our study in the Psalms, Psalm 121. As you arrive at that Psalm, uh, some of your translations has at the very top of the Psalm, the title, The Traveler's Psalm. The Traveler's Psalm. And I love that title. Now, Psalm 120 through 135, a little background here. Those Psalms were called the Psalms of Ascent or Psalms of Ascents. And they were, they were sung by the Jews throughout the year, any time that they would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for an annual feast, whatever that feast may be. And so they would come from all over Palestine and they would travel night and day until they arrived there. They came from outside Palestine as well, Jews from everywhere to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And on the way, they would sing these songs, 15 of them. And so we come to one here, one of these songs. So I want you to picture the psalmist. We don't know who wrote this psalm. Could have been David. But I want you to picture a traveler. A, the psalmist is traveling to Jerusalem. And basically... Uh, he's going to be going through wilderness. If you come through the Judean, Judean wilderness, you will see the mountainous areas and the dryness. And, uh, and traveling back then by foot or by, and most people didn't have horses, they had donkeys, but they would travel and they would have to make this journey. And by the end of the journey, no doubt they were weary. But along the way, there were dangers. And so I want you to keep this in mind as we look at this tremendous psalm. So let's look at verse 1. The psalmist writes, as he travels, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? From where shall my help come from? Now, if you have a King James Version... Uh, it's translated this way. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my strength or cometh my help. Okay. Now, if you have a King James Version, look at the end of the, that uh, sentence. It has a period. And so 
basically, and I grew up thinking it this way, that it is just a statement from the psalmist that he, he lifts his eyes up to the hills where his strength is going to come from. It's going to come from the hills. So some have believed that he was thinking of the hill Jerusalem is built on, where the temple is, where the Lord is, and he would come down to hell. But as uh, many through the years, many good Bible translators got together and gave us the good translations that we have today. If you have a different translation, look at the end of your sentence. What do you see there? You see a question mark. And in the original Greek, this, this sentence basically, I'm sorry, not the Greek, the Hebrew. In the, in the Hebrew, here this sentence ends with a question mark. Now, why the King James translators put it a period, they don't really know. But all the other versions, as they came together and looked at the original historical text, there is a question mark. So that makes a difference in how we say this, how the, the psalmist is saying this. So instead of just a statement, he said it like this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains or the hills. And then he says, from where shall my help come from? Question mark. Where will, will my help come from? And his, his thought of, he looks to the hills then. Remember, he's a weary traveler. And he's traveling through the, the, all kinds of mountainous areas. If you've been to Israel and you've gone into the Judean wilderness and you see those mountains and cliffs. And uh, it was dangerous place to come through any of those mountains or hills. Because... At night, daytime or at night, you would have, especially at night, wild animals that you had to be aware of. Back then, many lions roamed, you know, the land as well as bears and other, other wild animals that could kill and attack. And on top of that, you had the threat of robbers or evil men coming down upon you suddenly and assaulting you or even killing you. Think of the, uh, you know, the Good Samaritan story. So the, the robbers took and beat, beat that young man. So here, basically, we, we have the idea that the psalmist is looking at the hills with anxiety and he knows the dangers that are up there. And so as he looks, as he travels and sees the unknown dangers in those hills, he's saying, where's my help going to come from? If I were to be attacked, something were to happen, where is my help going to come from? Well, he asks the question, but he already has the answer, which he gives us here in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He then says, My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I have to ask myself this question as I journey 
through this life. When I ask the question, where's my help going to come from? Where do I look for help? How easy it is, isn't it, for, for us to seek help in other people, in uh, our money, our material things, or our own, uh, you know, intelligence and smarts, and we think that we're going to be able to, uh, you know, handle it, whatever's coming, and we don't call on the Lord for help. How often we do that. We're going to struggle through the journey, but it's going to be in my own strength. And then suddenly we find that we failed. We find out that suddenly we're collapsing under the weight and the burdens of this life. And all the while, the Lord is saying, you should have remembered, I would be your help. And the psalmist here makes clear that the Lord is his help. Notice the name for God here, the Lord, is capitalized. You see that? Capitalized letters, L-O-R-D. And in the Hebrew, this is the title, uh, the name for God used, which is Yahweh. It is the most sacred name used of God in the entire Old Testament, Yahweh. And the title Yahweh, the name Yahweh, literally means the self-existing one or the eternal one. In other words, speaking of the sovereign power and control of God. And so he's trying to, he's using the greatest title given to the Lord God, Yahweh, here. That the God of the universe, and notice he says, my help comes from the Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, guess what? He made the heavens and the earth. He made it all. And how, how easy it is to forget how powerful our Lord God is. You know, as we think of creation, the, the scriptures start with that very truth. In the beginning, in Genesis, right? God created what? The heavens and the earth. And so, looking out at what God has created should cause us to realize how strong our God is, and he is the one that is going to help us in our traveling days while we're here on earth. He's going to... uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Let's go over to Colossians 1. As we think of creation and the power of God as a creator... Okay, and uh, we come to Colossians 1. Go down to verse 15 with me. Paul writes to the church, and now he is writing, though he doesn't right here mention the name of the Lord Jesus, that's who he's talking about. Okay, because he will talk about the Father in this passage as well. Verse 15, look with me at verse 15, Colossians 1. And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him, Jesus, so you can put Jesus' name in there, all things were what? Created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and I love this, in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Your body, so if Jesus is holding all things in the universe together, guess what? Your body, the molecules and atoms, everything else, is being held together by the Lord Jesus Christ who bought you, paid the price on the cross for your sins, and he is your Savior. But remember, he is God. And God the Father gave to his Son the authority to create. Son, go create the heavens and the earth and a people for yourself. So Jesus Christ was involved in creation as we see it here. Notice there in verse 16, all things were created by him and for Jesus, for him. Because Jesus is going to reign someday, come back and reign on this earth. And uh, all th- as there's that phrase, all things hold together. Perhaps some of you, and I've, I've mentioned this uh, in, in the past. Have you ever heard of laminin? Laminin. It is some kind of, you might say, glue, that which we can't see with the naked eye. But laminin is, is the thing which holds molecules and atoms and, ma- and, and, and all um, matter together, holds it together. And so Jesus created laminin and the scientists are baffled by this laminin as they've done research on it and they they discovered it that there's this where did that glue come from oh yeah it just happened through evolution by chance right do you have a picture of it greg okay if you, if you find it if you could throw it up there what's most amazing about Laminin is the microscopic picture of it. And some of you already know this. But laminin, if you look at it under a microscope, it's in the shape of a cross. It's in the shape of a cross. Just just Google it yourself. Uh, Not now. No, go ahead. You can do it now if you want. You're on your phones anyway, some use it for your Bible. <laughs> but check out laminin. The shape is the shape of a cross. Is God trying to tell us something? Yes. His son is keeping all things together and keeping all of you together and protecting you and guarding. And that's what this, this psalm is all about as well. So go back with me if you would. Let's go back to Psalm 121. And... He goes on then, so he says, my help is from Yahweh, the one who made heaven and earth, which is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ as well, who is Yahweh. And 
dwells within each believer. He empowers us. But now we come to verse 3. The psalmist says, He, the Lord, will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Look at verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the King James translation translates the word keep there for, uh, for, for pretty much throughout the psalm uses that word keep. Uh, but other translations uh, use keep and then the word protect and then the word guard, those kind of words. And we'll explain all that in just a moment. But he who keeps you, what won't he do? He won't allow your foot to slip. He won't allow your foot to slip. How many of you recall doing any traveling, any camping? And you're, maybe you're camping in the mountains and you have to go up. And sometimes you hit that steep incline. Uh, do you do it in flip-flops? No. You try and have some pretty good hiking boots, right, when you go out? So that they are sturdy. They will keep your footing as you travel up. And you hit the stones and the gravel. The Roman army in ancient Rome, their boots had spikes on the bottom of them. And these spikes were, were used, it's almost like cleats as they are used in our sports events today, the athletes wear them. But they were like cleats, so that when the, the, if, if the battle began, the Roman soldiers would not slip. If it, they just had flat soles, they would just slip during a battle, maybe fighting, and they'd be killed. So this gave them a firm footing. But the psalmist has the idea here, of the Lord as a father holding the hand of a child. He's holding on to you and he's not going to let you fall or slip. He's going to keep us. He's there watching over us. And that word keep again, which means protect or preserve or guard. It has the military idea of guarding, protecting. And if you were in the military and you were on guard duty, what would happen if you fell asleep? By the way, did any fall asleep on guard duty here? No, you're not raising your hand. I wonder why. No, you'd be, we, they'd be ashamed that they fell asleep on, on duty and they'd get in big trouble for it. We have a God that doesn't sleep. We have a God that does not slumber. Now those two words, you've got, notice he's got slumber, and then verse 4, he will neither slumber nor sleep. What's the difference between those two words? Why did you just put sleep? Because the word slumber in the Hebrew has the idea of dozing off, like some of you are doing now. Just, you start, you know, it, it happens all the time, and you start dozing, and oh, you, you, you suddenly realize where you are, and oh, yeah, service is over. 
And it can happen so easily. We get tired, we sit down, we get to somewhere, and, and we just stop. And suddenly, what do we do? We can drift off, doze off. So he's saying God doesn't doze off. But then the other word is the literal sleep, which is talking about a deep sleep that you get into. I know how many of you uh, uh, remember times where you were in such a deep sleep and, and almost an earthquake couldn't wake you up. But uh, it, it, God does not go into a deep sleep. I shared a story uh, some time ago uh, about our family as we were traveling through Indiana. We were, as we were touring uh, in our musical ministry, uh, we pulled into uh, a place and we basically spent the night in the motorhome because uh, we had a concert the next day. And so we arrived there at the, uh, and, and pulled into the parking lot and the church just happened to be next to Route 30. But in Indiana, Route 30, if you've driven down that way, it's basically a four-lane highway. And so uh, the cars are, you know, top speed. Well, here we are. Our motorhome is parked right next, close to the highway. We all finally go to sleep, get into bed. This is before I was married. So Sharon... <clears throat> If she knew this, that I did this, she probably wouldn't have married me. But this is what happened. Um, we're sleeping, and, and, and the tractor trailers would zoom by. I mean, and they were pretty loud. But we all fell asleep. But then it just so happens that one of the tractor trailers laid on the horn as it went by. And it sounded like a train. That horn woke me up in the middle of a deep sleep. I jumped up, and the first thing I thought of when I heard that sound was, we're sitting on the train tracks. <laughs> I jumped up, yelled at everybody, woke everybody up, the whole family, says, get out, get out, everybody get out. I'm pulling them out, out of the motorhome, get, run, run, run. We all get outside the motorhome, and they're, they're wiping their eyes going... Larry, what are you doing? What, what's, what's going on? We, we were going to get hit by Yeah, look around. We're in, a, we're in a parking lot. There's no train. There's no, there's, there's no tractor trailer. It's gone. But it was that sound that woke me up. Oh, it, it, talking about a deep sleep and then suddenly being startled. You know, God is never startled by what happens to you and me you are never he is never caught off guard he is watching and keeping you as a guard watches over a, a prisoner he is watching you day and night and he never takes his eye off you that hebrew word for keep is the word shamar Shamar, and it, it means taking great care over. In fact, that word in the Hebrew is used six times in these eight verses. So the psalmist speaks of the divine keeper. And notice, 
he says at the end of verse 3, he says, he keeps you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Notice he says he keeps you. It's personal. Then in verse 4, he says, but he who keeps Israel. So he not only talks about God watching over the individual, you as an individual, but he's also watching over the nation of Israel as a whole because they are his people. And so he's reminded that he's reminding the reader and those who would sing this song on their journey to Jerusalem to worship the Lord that remember, God is watching over his people. And if there's nothing else you take with you this morning, take this. God is watching over you and keeping you safe in your journey. It doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to experience sorrow, pain, sickness, heartache, or even death. But yet, my God will keep me until he takes me to my eternal home. I can have peace because I know that I am his and he is mine. So look at now at verse 5 and verse 6. He goes on and says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, he says here, again, the Lord is your keeper, your guard, your protector. He is a shade on your right hand. Now, the right hand in, the, in ancient times referred to the strong hand. So it was the, the, the hand that basically the right hand was the hand of strength. And so he's saying that the Lord is, will shade your strong hand, your right hand, uh, in the darkness, in the day, from the sun. When the sun beats down and it gets hot, the Lord's going to bring you shade. It's interesting that, they, that the right hand is the, the uh, strong hand. How many are left-handed this morning? Okay, I'm so sorry. You know, that's the way God made you. But uh, so... That is your strong hand. So it looks like your right hand is not shaded, according to this verse. No, of course not. The Lord is watching over you. He shades you from the sun. And again, it's, it's, it's talking about God's protection over you. And then he says, during the day, and then he says, the sun will not smite you, smite you by day. Of course, we know what that's like. If you're in the sun in the desert and you're walking through, you don't have water and there's no cloud cover, no shade. You're going to roast and, and you, 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 you might die out there. But then he says, nor the moon by night, nor will the moon strike you by night. How does the moon strike somebody by night? Can you figure that one out? Well, again... It is, we believe that the psalmist is talking about basically everything that goes bump in the night, so to speak. Everything that is out there at night that, that are dangers for you and for me, for the weary traveler. And so he's saying, because nighttime is a time when many people, even believers, 
really experience fear. They can't take nighttime. They can't wait for day. They have trouble sleeping in the night. And so he's speaking about everything that will be a danger at night. And you and I, my friends, we don't know what is ahead through the day or the night as we travel. And you're getting weary today with all the burdens that you're carrying. And you're, you're traveling home to your heavenly city. But the Lord is going before you. He's behind you just as he was with Israel. And he's guarding you. He's watching your every footstep. And he will keep you and strengthen you all the way home. All the way home. And then verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. What a wonderful truth. Not only will God protect us from all kinds of things in this world, but he protects us from all evil. He protects us from all evil. And this, of course, would also refer to sin. He can protect us from sin if we are walking close to him and walking in his word. He will help me not to sin. He'll give me victory over any bad habits or any sin that oppresses me. But he will protect us from evil. And he will, I love this, he will keep your soul. Your soul, dear beloved one, is secure in Jesus Christ today. Your soul is kept by the Lord. You remember Jesus said, no one can, said to his disciples, no one can pluck you out of my hand or who? My father's hand. That's how secure you are. That's where you will be, you stay and belong. He will never let you go and he keeps your soul unto that day. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to Hebrews 10 together. Verse 39. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. There's that word preserving or keep, keeping of your soul. That God, we who have faith and are saved, we are secure. Our soul is secure in the Lord. Now turn to 1 Peter. Slide over to 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you're in Hebrews, go forward, go past James, and you come to 1 Peter. Okay? So it's Hebrews James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Look what Peter writes. <clears throat> and remember this, and we're going to be studying this tonight, that we're in a, a 
Bible a study on Sunday nights in First Peter. But many were suffering during this time. The church was suffering and being persecuted. Verse 19. Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God. Did you know that your suffering is according to the will of God? We don't like to hear that, but it's right there in front of us. That as I understand any persecution and suffering that comes my way is under the permissive will of God. So he says, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In doing what is right. God will do what is right and he will, we entrust our souls to him because we know he is keeping our souls, preserving our souls for all of eternity. But his preserving of soul, and by the way, that word soul can also refer to life in general. He preserves our life. And yet, we read this psalm where we take courage in our journey. But it doesn't mean that we are not going to feel the attacks of the enemy. Turn with me to Acts 27. And I want you to see this firsthand in the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts 27, verse 8, pick it up at verse 18. Background here is you're turning to it. The Apostle Paul has been arrested. He appealed to Caesar so that they would not kill him in Jerusalem. So he appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. Therefore, they put uh, Paul on a boat, a Roman boat, chained as a prisoner, and they were taking him to Rome so he could stand before Caesar to give his case, to, uh, to stand trial, but to, get, to appeal to Caesar. So he's on this ship, okay, with some other companions of Paul who came along with him. Look at verse 18. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually being abandoned. Maybe that's where you feel right now. Your ship is being tossed and torn, and the storm is assailing you, and you're beginning to lose hope. And so it was with these who were with Paul. And even Paul himself wondered, am I going to make it to Rome? Is this it for me? Am I finished now? But I love the next part. Verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail for Crete and incurred this damage and loss. He had originally warned them, hey, don't go this way, don't go now, there's storms out there. But they went anyway. Verse 22. And yet now I encourage you 
to keep up your courage. For there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. How does Paul know this? Verse 23. Paul says, For this very night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and I serve. And each one of you who are believers, you belong to the Lord and and the one whom you serve. He says, An angel of the Lord to whom I belong and serve, God, stood before me. So an angel appeared to him at night there in the ship, in the darkness, saying this, verse 24, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted all those who are sailing with you. So Paul was given a promise by God through an angel that you're not going to die yet. I have more work for you to do. You're going to make it to Rome. I want to encourage you in this because I'm sure Paul's heart was failing. And then so were the, men, the hearts of the sailors and the other men who were on the ship. And then I love verse 25, and I leave this with you. Take this one to heart. Therefore, because God's in control, God's absolutely in control. Keep up your courage, men. For I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must first run aground on a certain island. In other words, shipwreck is coming. But I want you to take courage, men, he says. Because... God told me you're not going to die. We're not going to die in this. There was the promise of God given to Paul. Paul says to them, you take courage. You know why? I believe in what God just told me. That it's going to happen exactly as he says it would. My friends, you and I, This is where God speaks to us. This tells me what is going to happen in my life. Oh, I don't know the exact details. I don't know what shipwreck may come my way in my life. I don't know what loss I'm going to experience. But as the Apostle Paul, would you say with me, I believe God. That what he said, it will happen. My friends, put your faith in the promises of God. They're right here as you travel. And you are weary and heavy laden. Continue to cast your care upon him. And the Lord Jesus will see you through. For he has more work for all of us to do until he calls us home. Or the trumpet were to sound and we all go up together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The trumpet sounded right now. My friend, take this psalm. Take hope and take courage. Keep up your courage. See, Paul said to those sailors, because as we believe God, what he said in this word 
it will turn out exactly as he said it concerning us. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord, in closing here, dear Christian, the weight that you are carrying, that you came in with, perhaps you feel like you're in a shipwreck right now. You're in a shipwreck and you just feel like there's no hope. You feel like you're sinking. Would you say right now to the Lord, Lord, I believe your promises. I believe what you said. And I believe that you're in control of my life and all the circumstances that come into my life right now. And Father, I am going to trust you to see me through in my weary travel home. Would you do that, Christian, right now? Commit your burdens and the weight and your cares to the Lord right now. And just tell him, Lord, I, I believe what you said. Make that decision now, Christian. And the Lord will give you his peace that passes all understanding. If you're here today without Christ, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I invite you now to open your heart and trust in him. Accept him by faith as he's the one that died on the cross for your sins. He took the punishment for you. And if you would but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. You will receive his righteousness and you will receive the free gift of everlasting life. That is freely offered to you if you would but believe in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now to save you. If you're ready to do that, would you pray a simple prayer like this with me now? Pray it quietly in your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I am so sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. You took the punishment for me. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of God. Instantly, you have been passed from death unto life. You have been born again spiritually. You're, we welcome you to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for any decisions that have been made this day for your glory and honor. Father, encourage our hearts in the journey that is before us until we reach our heavenly home. We thank you for the promises, Father, that we receive today from your word. Help us to cling to them and believe. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.